Hi, it's Jennifer Diane Ghostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. A part of my identity is being an adoptee, being separated at birth from my original family and placed into foster care for two years before being adopted has significantly impacted how I see my place in the world. After connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognized the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. You may have wondered what reunion looks like from an adoptee's point of view, or be embarking upon taking that journey yourself to search for your first family, or simply want confirmation that you are not alone in your experience wherever you are on the path of healing and pushing through a trauma. Wouldn't it be empowering to have many of your burning questions answered here? There's a book entitled, Help Me to Find My People, The African-American Search for Family Lost in Slavery. The John Hope Franklin Series in African-American History and Culture by Heather Andrea Williams. Here are two excerpts from her book. In the 21st century, some may wonder if people, specifically black people who were slaves, felt in the 19th century as we do today. That actually can become two questions, one of time and one of race. Some white contemporaries of black slaves believe they felt more deeply than black people, that somehow losing one's child or mother or father hurt a white person more than it hurt a black person. So there is the question of race. The sources offer clear evidence of deep pain on the part of those who lost family members. And they also suggest that the expression of this pain in the presence of whites was sometimes muted, silenced, or buried because whites would not tolerate it. And perhaps also because blacks thought that expressing their grief openly would avail them nothing. I read these two excerpts at the request of my next guest, Veronica. In this episode, you have the opportunity to hear Veronica's voice in Adoptee. Though we have never met in person, I feel so connected to her. She has encouraged and supported my contributions to the adoption community through the years and helped me to truly understand why being connected to other adoptees is a lifelong pursuit of mine. As black, same-race domestic adoptees, Veronica and I share many of the same perspectives and beliefs. We understand the importance of black adoptees opening up about our unique experiences in the world of adoption. Veronica graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree in sociology and later went on to earn a master's degree in mental health counseling from Webster University. Veronica is currently a registered intern counselor with the state of Florida. She hopes that she can help educate adoptive parents and others in the counseling profession on adoption-related trauma and be an advocate for adoptees. Veronica believes no one should be denied the right to know who he or she is. Allow me to introduce you to someone who has made major contributions in the community alongside Shelby Redfield Kilgore with a book entitled Rooted in Adoption. Her presence on social media uplifts the adoptee voice. She will share a part of her journey during this conversation with me, which at times is heartbreaking. Yet, she maintains hope 
that she will find more answers to many questions as her journey continues. Veronica, I thank you for creating time with me today. Let's just jump into it for the listening audience. Where would you like to start in our conversation about your experience as a Black, same-race, domestic adoptee? If I tell people I'm adopted, they always want to know their first question is if my adopted parents are Black or white. And if I tell them I'm Black, they don't question anything else. They pretty much keep it moving after that. Like, there's really a little empathy for that if my parents are the same race as I am. Mm-hmm. And I did, I did another podcast a while back, and one of the questions they asked me was if it was easier as a Black adoptee being raised by Black adoptive parents. And I found it just a little bit strange, only because I've never heard anybody ask that to a white adoptee. Hey, as a white adoptee, is it easier because your adoptive parents are white? Right. Nobody ever questions that with a white adoptee. I'm speaking to a coworker of mine, and she's a mental health therapist, and you know she knows my situation and my story. And she said, honestly, it's because a lot of people see us all as the same. They see all black people as being the same. Hmm. We're not the same. No. We all have. We <laughs> all <not>. have. <laughs> We're definitely not, you know, uh, we all have different skin complexions. We have different backgrounds. We have different features. Even some black people in my adoptive family have more European dominated features. And then there are others like myself who don't, who have more African dominated features. With interracial adoptions, a big thing you hear is hair. Not all, I don't want to say all of the time, but a majority of the time, White adoptive parents have to learn how to care for Black or Afro-textured hair. I feel like you should not make the assumption that because someone is Black, that they know how to care for Afro-textured hair. I'm glad you mentioned that, too, because, (laughs) like, my hair has always been really thick. Yeah. Yeah, you know, really thick. And I remember my mother, because I'm same race adoptee, Mm -hmm. and I remember my mother struggling to try to figure out how to take care of my hair. And she's black. Like she, mm-hmm. Yeah, but she never had to deal with the texture hair that I have as a black person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I mean, they ruined my hair. When I was little, like my hair fell out. And I have photos from when I was like one years old, two years old, and it just looked like a cropped, you know, little boy's haircut because my hair was falling out. Nobody knew how to do it. And this is a black adoptee in a black family right right. but in my family and my family is has a lot of new orleans creole in it so they have more fine textured hairs you know more european type features my mom's my adoptive mom's hair is straight but is she a black woman yes Mm -hmm. so she had no clue what to do with my hair it took her years and years and years until i think what happened was she finally made became friends with some parents of black kids I was going to school with. And they told her where she could take my hair to get it done. Because prior to that, she was either trying to do it on her own or I was going to white hair salons and it was just a nightmare. So when the natural hair movement came along and I finally decided to grow my natural hair out for, you know, just for, because it was healthier, it was natural. I wasn't putting all those chemicals on my body. I grew up in a family where I heard people 
jokingly say, oh, your hair is nappy. You have naps. All your hair, all your hair is just naps. I had no idea what to expect when I grew my hair. I thought it was going to be the worst, most horrible hair imaginable because I had relaxers put in my hair from, oh my God, I don't even remember how old I was. I want to say probably six, seven years old. Maybe. That's young. I had relaxers in my hair. So yeah. I did not know or remember what my natural hair texture was. All I remember is people saying my hair was nappy in my Black family. So you can be in a Black family and actually be discriminated against not only for your hair, but sometimes for skin complexion. Mm-hmm. The colorism. Yeah, the colorism. Exactly. Yeah. We have that thing called colorism. And I remember a long time ago, this was several years back, probably at least 10 years ago, I met a Black adoptee. And she talked about a situation where in her family, she was the darker complexion. So there were comments made in her family and she was treated a certain way by people in her adoptive family because of that. Mm -hmm. She didn't know who she looked like. She didn't know where she would fit in. So, you know, there were issues there. I'm glad Um, we're having this conversation about uh, same race adoption. There's always somebody that says, well, there's secrecy in all adoption. Okay, but don't dismiss what I just said. Right. Because Black people historically have a lot of transgenerational trauma. And that secrecy, that goes back to like slavery days, you know, mm-hmm. where Black people, they just didn't say things, you know, you didn't talk about things. That's what they were brainwashed, you know, they were trained to do that. Black people, a lot of Black families, they think if we don't talk about it, it didn't happen. So, there's a lot of transgenerational trauma and then you're adopting a child that you're bringing into your home. It has already been traumatized by losing their mother. Yes. They haven't even dealt with the trauma they have. So how can they help you deal with yours? Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about your experience as an adoptee growing up? As an adoptee, it felt very lonely for me because I didn't have anybody to talk to about how I was feeling. Nobody really understood me. My parents, they told me when I was young. I think I was in kindergarten when they told me I was adopted. But after that, they didn't bring it up again. You couldn't openly discuss your adoption. Well, it wasn't... See, this is the thing. My mom had always told me, and my mom is an adoptee. Let me say this, though. Even though my mom's adoptee, that doesn't mean she understands. Mm -hmm. Because as we know, there are a lot of adoptees that are in the fall. Mm -hmm. And my mom, my adoptive mom grew up in a different era and she was raised by older people from a different generation. So her feelings are different. She's a people pleaser adoptee. Mm. Um, So she didn't get anything I was going through. But she did tell me that if I wanted help searching, they would help me search. Whenever like I brought up questions about who I was or who did I look like, Nobody really opened up that, helped me open up that conversation. My adoptive dad, I remember one day I came home from school. I had some school pictures that we took at high school. And I just looked at it and I said, I just wonder who I look like. And he jumped and said, you look like yourself. Hmm. That was pretty much it. He didn't say anything else. One time he had told me, he said to me, how do you know we didn't get you a blood transfusion when you were a baby, so you had our blood. 
Mm. You know, so even though my my parents used to say, oh, you can talk to us, it never felt like a safe place to talk to them. Because parents, adoptive parents can say that all they want to. You can talk to us. You can tell us anything if anything's bothering you. But the adoptee has to feel safe. Right. Meaning that if this is the way you feel, they have to validate your feelings. And that never happened. That never really happened. Yeah. Never really happened. So it was it was almost emotionally abusive in a way to not have those feelings validated. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, I had a horrible upbringing, but it was it was really tough and difficult. And, you know, like I said, there were members of my family. They I don't look like anything like my family. You know, some people think all, all black people look alike. But like I mentioned, you can have black people that have white skin. You know, there were black people in my family that had white skin. My grandparents had white skin. You know, I had people in my adopted family that were mixed with other things. They had really curly, fine hair. My adopted mom had more European-dominated features. They looked nothing like me. So I felt I felt unattractive in a lot of ways, and it affected my self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Really good. And you weren't able to connect with any other adoptees. There was one when I was growing up. I don't really talk about her much, but she was raised by Black parents, too. Mm-hmm. I just don't talk about it because that's that's her story. That's, you know, somebody else's story. Right. It's interesting. I grew up, I want to say, from seventh grade to probably freshman year in high school, around two other adoptees who did not know they were adopted. And I just remember it being so weird. My parents said that, you know, don't don't mention it. She doesn't know. It, it was weird. It was like all these people knew around the, these two, and they didn't know. I thought, too, what a loss also for me, because I would like to be able to talk with them, you know, as one adoptee to another. You know, it was just really, really weird. Because yeah. I, I always thought it would be nice to have been able to be in the company of adoptees growing up, be able to just kind of let our feelings out with each other. Cause like you, I, it wasn't discussed in my home. It was not something mm-hmm. that I could just bring up and talk about. My parents did not want me to search primarily my mother. She shut that down. You know, I think it came up maybe three different occasions growing up. Mm-hmm. And so it would have been nice to have an environment like an adoption community, you know, that I could be a part of through the years. Well, when I went to high school, there was a, maybe two or three, maybe other people that I found out were adoptees, but we didn't talk about it. They were white adoptees. Okay. When you're young, you don't always know how to talk about what you're dealing with, how to verbalize, mm-hmm. you know, your emotions. Sometimes you need, that's why therapy comes in handy, mm-hmm. you know. To help you learn how to express some of those feelings and externalize them. I and I know, working in the mental health profession, that sometimes, you know, talk therapy doesn't work. Sometimes kids, you know, young kids need other outlets to be able to uh, show what they're feeling, whether it's art or, or music therapy or, you know, any other way they can express that. And I heard, I heard somebody say this. I can't remember where it was, but they said that Black people, Black adoptive parents, don't need, <clears throat> don't have to be taught how to raise a Black adoptee. I mean, mm. <laughs> in 
some extent, some ways, you know, I can agree with certain areas, but there are so many other areas that black adoptive parents do need proper education on. So it makes me wonder in my mind, are there social workers that are limiting these resources because they're thinking to themselves, oh, black child, black adoptive parents, they're good, they're mm-hmm. cool. We can leave them to fend for themselves. But especially with mental health services, that's something that needs to be discussed with black adoptive parents because mental health is still pretty new to us in the black community. That's new. Mm-hmm. You know, black people don't really feel safe a lot of times going to a mental health therapist, especially a white one. When we talk about how hard it is to find like an adoption competent mental health counselor, imagine how hard it is to find a black adoption competent <laughs> mental health counselor. Those, those resources are even slimmer. Right, you know I mean? right. Because Black people, a lot of times they do want to be able to talk to somebody that looks like them that can relate to them on that level as well. I'm so glad to know you're in that field as an adoptee, as a Black woman. Yes, it's good to know that you're in that space because we do need that. We need representation. I read a book. Well, I'm not I haven't finished reading, but I was in the process of um, doing some research for school. And I came across a book and I think I had sent you the link for it. It's called Help Me to Find My People. Yes. The African-American Search for Family Lost in Slavery. And it's by a woman called Heather A. Williams. When I started to read through the book, it was astonishing to me the similarities that I noticed with slavery and that loss of identity that, you know, not just Black adoptees, but adoptees have in general. Because when slaves were separated from their families, they were also trying to find them. They were putting advertisements in newspapers looking for their mothers, their brothers, their sisters. You know, adoptees do the same thing. We see this all the time on social media, people holding up posters, you know, with the little information they have, hoping that it'll come across somebody that knows their birth family. Mm -hmm. You know, that happens all the time. And uh, one thing that, that hit me when I was reading through the book was it said that and this was a long time ago, keep in mind, it made a mention that they felt when white adopt, white children lost their mothers or lost their families, that they suffered more than Black children did. Say that again, that they what? More? They felt that they suffered more. Suffered, okay. Yeah. And I don't, you know, don't take this word for word, but if you go through the book, there is a section and it does talk about how they felt like, you know, white children did suffer more. Um, I guess it falls into that whole Black people being strong. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole thing we hear today um, about Black women being so strong, which, I mean, it's not a bad thing, but it can be. Because of that, sometimes we tend to neglect things like our mental health because we we hold ourselves accountable to that. Oh, I'm, I'm so strong, a strong Black woman. And I think when we are perceived that way, uh, even by ourselves, it sends a message that, well, they don't need help. Like what you said earlier, like, they're good. They're good. You know, the black woman, mm-hmm. she's, she's fine because mm-hmm. she is strong. I think we are very strong. Uh, yet that does not mean that we should not have the same resources available to us that other people have. Exactly. Yeah. And I wonder, does that play a role like I mentioned earlier about social workers going into homes 
thinking that just because there's Black families that they're good enough. Maybe maybe them having more empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, we may be these white adoptive families. And sometimes it's things we don't even do consciously. Sure. Well, I know that your journey is still continuing as all of us are uh, experiencing when it comes to search and, and reunion. Do you want to share a little bit about where you are or what you've been able to accomplish in search? Um, well, I found my birth mother's family and she's one, she was one of 10 kids, which was, was mind blowing to me when I found out because usually in black families, you know, there's always an aunt, an uncle or somebody that will, uh, will raise you or try to take you. Nobody in the family took me. So I found her. Um, she refuses to tell me who my birth father is. Matter of fact, when I asked her about him, she told me it was none of my business. Mm. When I first met her, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't meet her. When I first, first spoke to her and she would find out I was talking to other aunts and uncles in the family. Every time she found out I spoke to one of them, she would call me and she would start yelling at me because I had spoken to them and she wanted me to stay away from them. She really didn't want me to uh, have any relationship with them. And I think it was because she was afraid they were going to give me information on her or tell me about my brother because I'm still looking for an older brother. I think he's between one and two years older than me. I don't know if he's a half brother or a full brother. My non-identifying information said he was a half brother, but we really don't we really don't know. And when I spoke to one of my cousins, I said, he said, he said, Veronica, do you know where Eric is? And I said, no. I said, I was hoping you knew where he was. Right. <laughs> so apparently, this, and the story that I was told is that nobody has seen him since he was a child. Like he just, what, vanished like a thief in the night. None of y'all know what she did with this little boy. It's very strange. Somebody knows. But I do believe he was raised within either somebody in her family that won't talk or he was raised by his father. Mm -hmm. I don't know anything because they just won't tell me anything. And, you know, the birth mothers, they have more power than people give them credit for, you know. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who control the situation. I believe that she has people in my birth family afraid to talk to me. Because they don't want to anger her or to get her upset. So they just kind of keep quiet and they've kind of backed away from me mm. a little more. It took me it took me forever just to get a picture of her. She wouldn't give me a photo. Uh, when somebody did give me one, she found out. She was upset. Like, very secretive. So it sounds like you found a person who is not in a good space. Oh, no. Yeah. No, absolutely not. Like and in a really dark space. Yeah, yeah. But she has the choice to get healing if she chooses to. Right. You know, because we always hear, you know, they didn't have a choice. They didn't have a, You do have a choice. You have a choice to change that now. I agree. So don't tell me you don't have a choice anymore because everybody makes a choice. Mm-hmm. You know, she's choosing not to have a relationship with me because I went to her wanting that and she acted like I had bothered bothered her she actually told me that my adoptive parents should never have told me I was adopted and how how could they do that Mm. she didn't even want them to tell me I'm thinking 
You've done a DNA test, right? Yes, I've done it on, before I found my birth mother, I tested on all three sites. Okay. Uh, there's one called Family Family Tree, I think. I did Ancestry and 23andMe. With only within the past few years did I find some second cousin matches. So I have like some amazing people working with me, helping me to try and track down who it is. But, you know, in Black families, you know, that secrecy and everything. Right. Sometimes they don't talk. You got to be careful what words you mention, not to mention adoption. And then there's um, people who don't know they were adopted. I found that with one relative. Mm. When she did a DNA test, turned out she wasn't a match for me or that second cousin because she had been adopted herself. And she did not know. She she said she suspected something wasn't right. And this is a woman who was like in her 70s, I think. Wow. You get a lot of secrets to come out. Some of them don't even know who their fathers were. I find a lot, I'm finding a lot of that. I believe in generational curses or cycles or whatever you want to call them. I believe in those. In my family tree, one thing I noticed is that a lot of them don't know who their fathers were. And I've also noticed, picked up on some child abandonment in the family. Mm. Well, either they were raised by another relative or just by somebody else. And you can look at that even like census records or or whatever. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that you're a writer, a very good writer. Would you, consi- <laughs> would you consider that uh, maybe one of the tools that did help you navigate through the years as an adoptee? No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. I don't even, I mean, I can write. I don't, I'm not a journaler, to mm-hmm. be honest, because I wrote so much for school and college and everything. It wasn't something I found enjoyable on the side. Okay. But, you know, I just think having faith in God, I think growing up, because I was very spiritual as a child, I think that's what saved my life. Mm. You know, having that belief and that faith. Um, Because it was really hard. Really, really hard. Yeah. I'm lucky that I made it to where I am because I see... You know, like I said, working in a mental health field that I do, I see a lot. I see kids that are cutting themselves, you know, not talking and, you know, acting out and different things. And I I never did that. I never Mm -hmm. self-harmed. I did have thoughts, though. I had thoughts of not wanting to live growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, But thank God, you know, I made it through those times. Yes. I'm glad you made it through those times too and knowing you as I have you're just so encouraging and I want to thank you for that I um, appreciate you so much when you respond on social media or or whenever I see you posting rooted in adoption I want you to talk a little bit about that I think it's so inspiring okay when I started when I had the idea for the book it actually came the idea came from another book called, I think it's called Post Secrets by Frank Warren, if I'm not mistaken. He did a book about anybody that had a secret or things that they had never revealed before. And he gave an address and he said, I want you to write that secret on a postcard and design it and send it to me. 
and he made an entire book <laughs> full of all these secrets and things that people were revealing that they had never said to anybody before. And it was completely anonymous. Mm. So you were allowed to say whatever you want. And I thought to myself, you know what, a lot of adoptees are, are afraid to come out and talk about what they're going through because in society, they always want to silence us and tell us to be grateful and, you know, our feelings aren't validated. So I said, what if I put a book together and I thought about doing like maybe one sentences where everybody just give one line where you said something about your adoption experience. And then we just put like demographics, you know, gender, age, city you're born in, whether it was closed or open adoption. So I said, maybe, you know, that will help people, you know, just to get some, some of their feelings out without actually telling who they are. Mm-hmm. And uh, I contacted uh, a friend of mine. Her name is Shelby Kilgore. And she's an adoption filmmaker. She does wonderful films on adoption. Um, her Beyond the Biological series you can find on YouTube. And she also has a newer series called Adoption Education that she does. And I reached out to her and I said, hey, how do you feel about working with me on this project? And she was all for it. So the two of us, you know, worked together and we got other adoptees to contribute to this project. And in the beginning, we had a lot of people that wanted to contribute, probably maybe 200, maybe. I could, I'm just guesstimating. But in the end, we did not get 200. We didn't even get close to that. I kept extending the deadline for what we wanted for the book. But I think what it came down to was that it's really hard for adoptees to talk about some of these things, even write about some of it. It becomes real. It hits you really hard. Mm-hmm. So in the end, we didn't even get 100. We got 48. And I thought to myself, I said, you know, we can wait or we can just go ahead and just put the book out now because even if it only has 48, it's still going to help a lot of people. So we end up putting the book out rooted in adoption. Oh, my God. What is it? 2021? <laughs> I'm trying to think when that was. In 2020. Is it 2019 or 2020? I can't even remember anymore. But, uh, you know, we ended up self-publishing that book. Shelby knew a therapist who specializes in trauma and works with adoptees, and she wrote a foreword for the book for us. And, you know, we just uh, put it out, and, you know, that was pretty much it. From there, you know, I've also started doing a journal that I'm in the process of of getting out um, right now. And I have a free journal that you can actually download on Shelby's website. And I can give you the link for that later if anybody wants to look that up. It's a free journal that you can print out. You can punch holes in it and put it in a binder like I did. But, you know, that's that's pretty much it right now. I so enjoy journaling. I do it every day. So when you when you spoke about or shared that you were doing that journal, putting that together, I got really excited about it. So I will include in the show notes all that you have mentioned. So if anyone is interested, they can download it and and just kind of keep up with where you are with what you're doing, what you're working on. And I, um, I also want to mention that we have our Facebook page rooted in adoption. And what I've been trying to do is every Monday, I've been trying to do a spotlight on a mental health therapist that is adoption competent. Oh, nice. Um, Some Mondays you might not see a spotlight up because I've been working and I've been doing so many other things. But 
I'm trying to have one every Monday that I will post on Facebook and I also post on Instagram. And I contact all of these therapists and I ask them, hey, are you definitely adoption competent? Because even if you look it up and it says it on the website, it may not be true. It may be a misprint. You never know. So I do contact them and they all tell me they are adoption competent. I'm trying to get one from every state. Um, I think I have some from even places like Alaska that I found that I was able to put up there. But what I want people to understand also is that if you find a mental health therapist to work with, if they're really, really good, but they're in, let's say, New York City, and you live in a place like Florida, if they are not licensed in the state that you live in, you cannot work with them. Thank you for saying that. Because <laughs> a lot of people don't realize that. It's just like health insurance is the same thing. Mm -hmm. So they have to be licensed in the state you live in in order to give you counseling. Now, if you live like 200 miles away in the same state that they're licensed in, that's not a problem um, because I've done counseling before myself with people in the same state that lived in cities uh, far out from me because a lot of them do telehealth ever since COVID. So just make sure that they are licensed in the state you live in. And, you know, don't go on our website and see the Rooted in Adoption spotlight on that therapist and think, oh, you know, they'll be great to work with and book an appointment. Please, please, please contact them yourself and take advantage of the free consults because the majority of mental health therapists will do free 15, 20 minute consults where you will have the opportunity to talk to them and find out if they are a good fit for you. Oh, I didn't you know, know that. That is oh, so yeah. good to know. <laughs> Absolutely. And a lot of times it says it on their website too, you know, contact me for a free consult. They have adoption competency training. That doesn't mean that they work with the adoptees all day. That's just one training that they have. So when you contact them, ask them, you know, don't be afraid to say, you know, what percentage of your caseload are adult adoptees? Or do you work with adult adoptees? Because I've done the adoption competency training myself, and it's more geared toward children, the training I did. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them do more work with children than they do with adults. Mm. So that's always a question, you know, to ask them as well. You know, have you worked with any adult adoptees? Right. Well, I know you have a full plate and you just taking this time out means so much to me. And so in closing, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to leave the audience with? Um, not that I can think of, you know, but I will send you those links definitely so you can post them so uh, other people can you know, get some resources or some help that they need. Thank you, Veronica. I really appreciate you taking the time out to have this conversation with me. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for what you do, because I know it's a big help to the adoption community. Whenever I have the chance to chat with Veronica, I learn so much about my experience as a Black adoptee born during a closed adoption system. There are aspects to our adoptions that are seldom a part of the general discussions in the community. Rejection from a birth parent upon reunion is one of the most difficult situations to accept. I often think and believe that it's still not the end of the story. And I was happy to know that Veronica has a team of people helping her find other birth family members and get more answers. 
She is dedicated to helping adoptees find an adoption-competent therapist, a gift every adoptee deserves when seeking counseling. I appreciate knowing that adoptees are positioning themselves in the field of professional therapy in order to help others better understand what good guidance for adoptees looks like. Thank you, Veronica, for having this conversation with me. I often am pleasantly surprised by what topics we will discuss during our time together. And this one led me to discover more layers to our experience as Black people in America. You and I both embrace the importance of discussing race in an effort that we as a people are receiving the same opportunities afforded to others. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a donation to keep the show going at patreon.com forward slash land. Your contribution allows me to present a weekly episode free of advertisement and is greatly appreciated to add a valuable resource to the adoption community.